My name is Matt, and uh, I would love to pray with us as we begin. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message. I thank you for your truth and your invitation. Easy or hard, every part of your word is an invitation for us to know you better, for us to lay down the things of self and to pick up the things of you that are eternal, that are fully satisfying, and that we've been made for. I pray that each of us would hear your invitation and would respond in kind. Each of us in our own way are going to be given the opportunity to respond to you today. Lord, I trust you with that in spite of my words and in spite of the things that I say or don't say. Lord, you're going to give us an invitation. And I thank you for that. Lord, we just have great expectations for what you want to say to each one of us today through this time. Holy Spirit, would you come? Without you, this doesn't make much difference. We need you. Amen. Amen. We live in a society that puts a lot of stock on possessions. A lot of stock on belongings. A lot of stock on materials. A lot of stock. How freeing would it be if you didn't have to run that race? If you didn't have to worry about the next gadget that you were going to get... Or whether the things that you had bought were safe. What if you had to worry about that? Or didn't have to worry about that? How free would you be? How free would you be if you weren't in that rat race? Of getting and providing and holding on to. We struggle so hard simply to get. And then the rest of our time we're struggling to protect. And that's our life. Sounds really cynical when I say it that way, but that's a lot of what we do. We work and push and push because we got to get it and then we got to hold on to it. And the harder it took to get, the more we're going to spend time keeping it. Because possessions really matter. They really matter. And yet, how would you feel if that didn't concern you anymore? If that weight could fall off of your shoulders. If your biggest concern wasn't getting the next thing and then keeping it at all costs. How free would you feel? How free would you feel if you didn't have to keep up with the Joneses? The Rhymers? The Barkmans? Nobody understands the Joneses, i got to say. The Barkmans. Keep it up with the Barkmans. Any Barkmans in here? Oh, man. Right? Context, know your audience, right? (laughs) Keeping up with the Barkmans. That's all anyone's going to remember now. (laughs) No. This is a continuation of two weeks ago with the heart of fasting. And really what I wanted to say two weeks ago was that whatever we have to give up, 
we get Jesus in return. And let's not focus too much on the thing that we're giving up. And let's focus on the Jesus that we're getting. And you know, fasting is just a two-week time. But we're called to live a lifestyle of freely giving up the things in our lives for the sake of Jesus. Sometimes we can do it on our own. Sometimes it's asked of us. But it's a lifestyle. This isn't a sermon on materialism. Although I think the cure for materialism is in it. Because the heart of materialism is the same. I'll be okay if I have these things. I'll be okay then. Because really, we all just want to be okay. We all want to be okay. My big idea today is in Christ, we have a possession that can never be lost. It can never be stolen. It can never be taken The most precious thing that we will ever, ever, ever have is also the most protected. Christ is our true and greatest possession. And He's worth whatever the cost will be. Let's read Hebrews 10, 32 to 39 together. It might be on this. It's a little small. You can snuggle up to your... closer partner if you want but Hebrews 10 32 to 39 says but recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I'm, I'm just so encouraged by this passage. Um, verse 34, this is what really caught me. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It really puts things in perspective. The line like that, a challenge like that, a gauntlet like that. Really puts things in perspective. This passage was written to Christians that had had some suffering, had had some persecution for the sake of Christ. And at this point they were being encouraged, keep going. Keep going, you're on the right path. Stick with Jesus. And I want to look at three different things today in pertaining to this passage. The first is that the struggle... See, now I only hear the joke. The struggle is, in fact, real. That would be point one. Point two, we only can beat the struggle through faith. And our faith is in the treasure, which is in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going. So firstly, the struggle 
the suffering is the what of this passage. What are we talking about? We're talking about there's a real struggle. There's a real struggle. And these believers knew it real well. They knew it real well. I just hear the joke now. There's a term, the struggle is real. Anybody know that term? The struggle is real. And it's a little cheeky because it it actually means your struggle that you're dealing with right now is not that real. It's not that real. So, for instance, if you went to a buffet and you filled your plate with prime rib and roasted turkey and potatoes and gravy, but they didn't have corn, you'd say, I got all this, but I didn't get any corn. Wow, man, your struggle is real. Yeah, it it is real. It is real. I didn't get any corn. The struggle is real pertains to first world problems. First world problems. I had a guy over to watch a football game and and I recorded way past the game because you can PVR now and uh, recorded way past the game and yet the game went longer than that so we didn't get to see the miracle catch right at the end of the game. Like it cut out 20 seconds before the game was over. Right? Matt didn't look very good then. Okay? He didn't look very good. Man, was the struggle real then? Like, my PVR failed me. I didn't know where to leave myself. What was I going to do? So our struggle is real sometimes, right? That is not what Hebrews is talking about. Hebrews is talking about a real struggle that was so severe that not only were the people who were professing Christ affected, but the people who were supporting those that professed Christ were equally affected. The people that were plundered were plundered because they had compassion on the people who were being punished in the first place. That's a real struggle. The the meaning of struggle in Greek talks about an athletic contest. Talks about an athletic contest. You know they have a race called the Spartan race, which is not simply running really fast for 3, 6, 12, or 26 miles, but doing it while throwing javelins and climbing up ropes and jumping over logs that are on fire. Oh yeah, the struggle is real. That's what this passage is saying when it says a hard struggle. These Christians were on a journey towards eternity, but at every stop of the way, there was this major obstacle in their life. And it affected everyone that they were a part of. And if we don't have Jesus, if He's not really, really, really crucial in our life, That struggle is going to be a big, big problem. It's going to cause a real big problem. Cause a real big problem. We don't know what struggling for the gospel is in general. We all have struggles, whether it's 
health or finances, family things. We all know heartache. But we don't know a lot of struggling for the gospel. Can you imagine if, yesterday, if tomorrow you logged on to Virage Sale and because you were a Christian you could no longer click interested? Not for you anymore. Can you imagine? That would feel like a big deal. I mean, Virage Sale is taking over the way we do shop now, but that's a big deal. And it, it's actually telling... How little of struggling for Jesus we know here in our very comfortable, very safe town of Steinbeck. And I love Steinbeck. I'm, I thank Jesus for Steinbeck because we live in a good town. But struggling for the, for the gospel, we don't know very well. Not yet. Not yet. Struggle is the what in this passage. And there are going to be struggles. We will feel loss professing Jesus as Lord. It's going to come. It's coming. It's coming here. We don't have to go somewhere for it. It is coming here. It's coming. If it isn't here for you now, it's going to be. Just in the span of your life, just wait a minute. Wait a minute and it's coming. If struggle is the what, faith is the how. Faith is the how. The next verse after these passages here is Hebrews 11.1. 1. We know it well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is how believers can overcome any obstacle that they're facing, any cost of Jesus this faith in the assurance. We all need assurance. We need assurance when things are going well, and we really, really, really need assurance when things aren't going well. When there's a cost, when there's a threat. If we don't have assurance, we're going to have a hard time. We're going to have a hard time. But this faith is running all throughout, it's the lifeblood. Of this passage. Verse 32. Remember your conversion. Remember your new faith. After it came hardship. Verse 38. The righteous one shall live by faith. Verse 39. We don't shrink back. But have faith. And our souls are preserved. As we listen to Hebrews. It is so obvious that without faith. There would be no victory. To the struggle. No victory to the struggle. I would say it's practically impossible to faithfully go through hard times without faith. What are you drawing from? Without faith in Jesus, what are you drawing from? What's the rope that pulls you through? We've got to have faith. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's not faith in ourselves. It's not faith that we can overcome. It's not faith in how bad 
and how good we can do Spartan races and overcome everything. It's faith in Jesus. It's this faith in Jesus that we need. And it manifests itself in two really important ways. The first is it's a faith that endures. It's a faith that endures. Hebrews 10, 36 uh, to 39 speaks of endurance in a few different ways. 36, for you will be in need of endurance. Verse 37, for yet a little while. Speaking of in the big scheme and grand plan of your life. That which you need to overcome is just a little while. And yet you still need endurance in that. Still need endurance. And we're motivated by destinations. We're motivated by destinations. Our destination helps us to go through many difficult things. What do we get every two weeks? Paycheck. Don't raise your hands. How many people get through work because of the paycheck that comes every two weeks? I'm just doing this. I'm not holding them down. I love my job. I don't have to, right? But a paycheck is significant. And that's just a little, little picture of how Christ helps us to endure. He is that ultimate perfect, not even a good explanation of Him, paycheck. That through him we can endure so many things because of what's to come. And not only that, but our faith is a relational faith. It's a faith for the good of others. Colossians 1.24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Here's this rejoicing in sufferings thing again. Rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body. So two times, Paul goes out of his way to say, I suffer for you. So that you would do well. So that your faith would be strong. wild it's amazing but our faith serves the people around us especially as we overcome with them in mind and it's Christ at the center of both of those it's Christ at the center so we will suffer there is hard times we need faith to pull us through but without the treasure Without the treasure of Jesus that we have faith in, we need to have that treasure. The object of our faith is what really matters. And it's the treasure. The treasure is the why. Why do we have faith? Because we know Jesus is our treasure. And that's how we can overcome. The treasure of Jesus is why we can overcome any struggle, any loss in faith. The message says this in verse 32 and 34 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. The message says, remember those early days when you first saw the light? Those were hard times. Kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days your friends. 
If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile. And this is the key. Knowing that they couldn't touch your real treasure. And this is the key to everything. This is how you can overcome and give out and give away and be without because what you have is not for sale. It's not touchable. The greatest treasure and possession in Jesus that you could ever need or ever want is not going to be lost. They can't take Jesus from you. And it just so happens, He's the most important, valuable thing you have. You cannot take Him. God is so generous. He's so generous. You ever really snowed somebody on a trade? I'll give you this chewed piece of gum for this Wayne Gretzky hockey card. Okay. You ever really snow somebody on a trade? Everybody has. God is so generous. You know, in the big scheme of things, not because the things that we give up are necessarily easy, but because the thing that we get in Him is so great... Our materials, our possessions, the things that we do without are the penny that we trade God for His blank check of heaven. I have signed this check. It'll never bounce. You can write any amount you want and all I need from you is your penny. We give God a rusty nail and He builds us the biggest, nicest mansion imaginable. And we count the cost. And we grieve the penny. We do. I think that's okay. God knows we love our pennies. He knows. And it's not that the penny is worthless. It's that the possession in Christ is so much greater. It's so much greater. And so we can give it up. I like that it says in verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Let let me just make a really important distinction. If you read, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, it doesn't mean God expects you to be happy about it. Because we know happiness and joy aren't the same thing. Happiness is fleeting and temporary. It's superficial. And it's based on every experience. Joy is long-lasting. It's eternal. It's deep. It overcomes. It outlasts. And it's truly satisfying. Joy. So let yourself off the hook a little bit because I'm hammering on possessions 
He's not saying you had better be happy about all the things you got to give up for me. But he is saying there is deep, long-lasting satisfaction and contentment in that. Not because of what you're giving, but because you're getting so much more in the treasure. The treasure of Jesus. Moses knew this well. Hebrews 11 tells the story of Moses that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And Moses had it, had it really good. Moses had it really good. He had been on cribs for sure. Is cribs still on? Nobody's going to admit it if, they, if it is, but... Moses had it really good. A prince of Egypt, a recipient to every good thing that Egypt had. But it was the treasure of Christ that allowed him to give all that up. But I had a question running through my mind and that this treasure, is it only for later? Is it only an inheritance Is it only on the side of heaven that it all becomes worthwhile? Because it's easy to fall into that thought. When I go to heaven, God's going to make it all right. He's going to make it all right. He's going to right the wrongs. He's going to wipe the tears. He's going to restore my health. I'm going to get it all back. And the truth is, we don't always see God restoring everything that He asks us to give for Him. If we give tithes and offerings, which is a lot different than persecution, it can cause us an issue if we start thinking, if I give $10 to God, He's going to give me 20 back. So I can give $10. Because we've heard again and again and again. God's going to give it back to you. He's going to give it back to you. And yet we don't all get compensated like Job did. You know Job gave up seven sons and three daughters. And he got the exact number back. The Lord also kicked in a doubling of his sheep and camels and other livestock. I read it. Job Job 42, exact double. But we all have a story where we've lost something. And we all know that God hasn't brought it all back exactly the same. It's not always two for one. In stuff, in possessions. God is far more gracious and generous than that. If all we could depend on for God when we give Him things is that we'll get our money back and maybe a little extra, that's really not that impressive. Because as we let go of the things, either forced 
or unforced in our lives, Jesus says, okay, I've got a little bit more room inside of you now. Your house is a little emptier. I have an uncle that, he's a great guy, but every time he gets something new, he must purge something. Like, it's, it's his credo. It's how he lives. I mean, Sam has all sorts of cool stuff. He's got these Beats um, headphones. Anybody know what those are? Because I hardly know what they are. And his cousins are all really upset with him because this three-year-old has Beats headphones and he plays hockey with them instead of actually using them as headphones. And that's cool. So Sammy's often a recipient of my uncle's need to purge. What if we thought of these things that we need to give up for the Lord as a purging? And that Christ is desiring more of our house to indwell. Would that change how we looked at it? Just making more room. He just wants more room. That changes everything. It changes everything about our possessions. Because whether we like it or not, we can only hold so much stuff. And when we're full, we're full. Emotionally, spiritually, when we are full, we're full. There's no more room. So we're given these opportunities because Jesus knows how awesome He is. He knows how awesome He is. And we get him. Philippians 3 verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And Paul had lots of good stuff. He was super educated. He was, had things to be happy and proud about, not compared to Christ. Not compared to Christ. It's these things in our life that can sift up the sand of our hearts and reveal countless treasures of who Jesus is. Hurricane Katrina kicked up all sorts of hand, sand hands off the coast of Alabama and revealed thousand-year-old cypress tree forests that the scientists were just going like bonkers for. You could actually smell the cypress when you cut the trees. And they were seven feet wide. They're huge. What if we thought of hardship as a sifting of the sand? That we would have an opportunity for a greater revelation of what's underneath there. Christ is just waiting to blow our minds up the next time that we turn our eyes from the things that take hold of our life and we look to Him for the newest, first, tenth time and our consciousness explodes because we have a new revelation. And I think He chuckles because He knows another one's coming. Got to make room. 
We've got to make room for the treasure. And what I love about Jesus is everything that he calls us to do, he shows us. He shows us first. Think about the life of Jesus. As we talk about the things that we give up for the sake of the treasure. Think about his life. You don't have to go any further than Hebrews 12, which says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In Jesus' ministry, he himself declares that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is God in human form saying, I don't have a house. Matthew 26, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. How hard would it be for us to lose our wills? Judas gives up Jesus to the authorities in John 13. This is all his final week. Mark 14 says how the disciples simply all left and fled when the soldiers came. They just got up and booked it out. This one really gets me, John 19. Soldiers divide Jesus' last earthly belongings while he's hanging on the cross. They'd taken everything from him by then. Everything. And as he's hanging there, he gets to watch them gambling for his... That's a lot of loss. We're going to take everything from you. Everything. Matthew 27, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lost it all. To bring glory to his Father and to gain a people unto himself. So I want to give us just a few things that we can do to put ourselves in the best position to live a life ready to count the cost at any time. And I just want you to think about this. Because I've really been slamming material stuff. Is it okay to love things? That's just a question for you to ponder. Is it okay to love things? Is it okay to have interests and hobbies and passions that are of this world? Is it okay? I want to reflect on the story of the, um, of the barns, the, the parable of the barns from Luke 12. And the story goes that this farmer had a really, really good year. And he ended up needing more and more storage for all of his grain because he had really done well. Really done well. He was going to be a keynote speaker at uh, a farming conference in the winter. And so he thought, I've done so well, I need to 
be able to hold all my stuff. So I'm going to build some more barns. Because I need a place for all this to go. And then he thought, as we often do, well, I guess the next thing I should do is just do nothing. Just going to eat some, I'm going to drink some, and I'm going to enjoy life. And God (laughs) had a conversation with him in the parable, and he says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man in all of his accomplishments, all of his storehouses, none of it mattered. It didn't matter anymore. Where do you go when that happens? So I want to give us a few things that we can do to not end up like this man with bigger barns. The first is this, distinguish each of us. We need to distinguish what is temporary and what is eternal. What is temporary and what is eternal. And I'm calling us to use, to keep using our, our internal scale. Our internal balance scale. You go by different spice places, And the old way of weighing everything was you'd have a scale. Just a simple scale. It's called a balance scale. And we need to be constantly weighing what's eternal and what's temporary. Because it really, really matters. It really matters. 1 John 2, 15, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That internal scale is going to give us the ability to know what to sweat or not. Should I be sweating this? Did I have to give this up? What's the scale say? Is it, is it internal or eternal? Is it temporary? Jesus as our treasure is always tipping the eternal scale. But we have to be weighing the things in our life. Are they temporary? Are they eternal? Secondly, we want to hold loosely the temporary. Once we've distinguished what's eternal and what's temporary, we want to hold very, very loosely what's temporary. The farmer went to great lengths to hold very tightly that which was temporal. And we want to be open-handed with our possessions. That's one way that we can really hold loosely the temporary, is be open-handed very giving, very generous, all the time, as much as possible, because it postures our heart to not hold those things that aren't going to last very strong, very hard. The other benefit of this is it's going to make us bullyproof of the world. It's going to make us bullyproof of the world as we hold the temporary things lightly. 
How do you keep a bully coming back? Give him what he wants. Give him what he wants. Keep crying when he pushes you down. Keep telling the teacher. That's what they're going for. As we hold lightly the things in our world that aren't going to last, the world loses its ability to hold those things over us. And we are bullyproof in the world because they can't take anything from you. If you're freely understanding that this doesn't matter, so you can take it if you want, but it doesn't hold any leverage on me, how is the world going to bully you? How's the world going to bully? It's also a great way to fight anxiety. Lastly is this, we want to hold, just as we wanted to hold very loosely on the things that are temporary, we want to hold extremely tightly on the things that are eternal. I thought of Jacob as soon as I had written, hold tightly onto the eternal. Because Jacob knew really well how to cling to things. As he fought with God, waiting to see his brother in Genesis 32. It even says, The man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, but touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. He's saying, Jacob, okay, fight's over, let's move on. And Jacob wouldn't have it. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go. The beautiful thing about Christ is we don't have to cling to him for a blessing. We cling to him because he is the blessing. Christ is the blessing. Christ is that which is eternal that at all costs we have to cling to. We cling to the eternal. It's the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that's going to last. We make so much of Jesus when we do this. We make him look not nearly as good as he actually is. But we bring a lot of honor and glory to Jesus when we choose him over the things of this world. Can you imagine if somebody carried a rock around and ranted and raved about this rock? I love my rock. It's such a good rock. It's dusty and there's no precious metals in it, but I sure love my rock. Okay, well, I'll give you... Uh, I'll give you a nickel for it. No, no, come on. I'll give you a quarter for it. For this rock? No. I'll give you five dollars for it. Now you're just insulting the rock. It's way more valuable than that. And then they take a different approach. I can see that that rock means a lot to you. If you don't give me your bike, I'm going to take that rock. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Because I still have the rock. That's fine. You can take whatever you want. Because I still have the rock. We know Jesus is far more than a rock. But how good does a little rock look when we choose it and prefer it over the threats and the temptations of the world? We make Jesus look really good.
going to close like this. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to call up Lisa as I close, if I could, the worship team. Church, we can give up anything if we know what we have in Christ. We can give up anything. Do we know what we have in Christ? That is the important question. That's the crucial question. Because if you don't know what you have in Christ, then your scale is never going to work right. And you'll be all out of balance. And the things of the world that will either be taken away or tempted you with will overcome the reality of who you have in Jesus because you don't quite know what that is. Do we know what we have in Christ? I think about this often. Will I overcome? The signs are greater and closer than they've ever been. That the world's getting a little funky. And generations have thought that for a long time. But it's getting real funky. Am I going to overcome? Am I going to last? Am I going to last when they put precious things on the chopping block? If I'm on the chopping block. Because that little question is going to determine everything. And yet it's the wrong question. The question is not, will I overcome, but do I have the revelation of who Jesus really is? Because that's the question. It's not, how will I do it? It's, do I get who Jesus is? That's the question. So do we get who Jesus is? It's an eternal question that really matters. And he wants to show us. Let's worship together.